covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us as uh, here we are. This is the final podcast that we are recording where baseball activities are not taking place until the end of the season. This upcoming Wednesday is when pitchers and catchers will report to Maryvale. Before we get into all that, let's take care of our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast, I would love for you to leave a ranking and review and also subscribe to the podcast as well. That would be great. And a special hello to everybody who is listening on 540 ESPN as part of Doug Russell's uh, Pod Center, which runs in the afternoons on 540 ESPN from uh, 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock. So generally this podcast runs a couple times over the course of the week. If you're listening to it on the radio and you want to know what it is or how you can access it on demand, you can always uh, find the podcast, Apple Podcast Stitcher, also at WTMJ.com. And uh, just go to a podcast, and you can see the Brewers Extra Innings podcast. And there it is. And we put some other things on the uh, podcast feed uh, at times as well, so you can uh, check that out for yourself. Not a lot to get to here in our opening segment. Uh, this past week, nothing of note really happening. As uh, around baseball, there's been some interesting things, trades that happened, then didn't happen, then happened again when we're talking about the, the Dodgers and the Red Sox and uh, and that deal involving uh, Mookie Betts. And it does seem like that deal is going to be on now. And, man, you look at the Dodgers, and it's tough to say that th- they're not the best team in the National League. On paper, they absolutely are. But, as they say, games are not played on paper. So we'll see how that plays out. But Dodgers are clearly going for it. After that, who is that second-best team in the National League? Is it the Nationals? Is it the Braves? I I just I don't know at this point, and it doesn't seem like a lot of teams in the National League have done much to get better this offseason in the division. I think the the only team that clearly is better than they were last year on paper is the Cincinnati Reds. They spent a fair amount of money, uh, but this is going to be an uh, this is looking to be an an odd year, uh, especially in the National League where. I think there's one really, 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 really good team right now. It's the Dodgers, and we'll see where everybody else kind of slots in. But uh, this is the schedule coming up this upcoming Wednesday, the 12th. Pitchers and catchers will report. The position players are set to report uh, the following Monday. That's Monday the 17th. And then the first full squad workout is Tuesday, Tuesday the 18th. And the first spring training game will be against the Rangers Saturday the 22nd. So that is... Uh, that's that that's right around the corner, and uh, it's uh, I'm glad we're here. Baseball is essentially here, and it's uh, we just don't have a whole lot to talk about this week. That being said, Ashton Rotman is uh, my featured guest this week here on the podcast. Ashton, uh, you hear him on 94.5 ESPN. He uh, does top of the hour updates. He's the producer for a couple shows. He does some other things. Uh, occasionally, he's uh, co-hosting Wisconsin Sports Weekend on WTMJ, one of my best friends, and uh, happy to be able to have him onto the program. So with all that being said, let's get to this week's featured conversation. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. 
Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. We do continue on. It's time for our social media conversation. Welcome, welcoming back on to the podcast. He is uh, part of the team at 94.5 ESPN. He produces the Power Lunch with Greg Matzik, which I've been filling in on a lot recently, so I've been able to do a lot of radio with him recently. He's also the uh, producer for uh, the TBD show. He is Ashton Rotman. He joins us right now. Hi, Ashton. What up, Matt? How are you? Oh, I'm doing excellent. Just a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Some more snow. I am ready for baseball, quite frankly. Pitchers and catchers set to report. It's been a week where... Yeah, nothing really new has uh, has come out. I guess before we go any further, there's been so much talk about the offseason and whether or not the Brewers skimped, if they did enough, if they should have done more. How do you view the overall offseason that the Brewers put together? Well, uh, <laughs> the word I would use is underwhelming because for me, I have a lot of questions and I had a lot of questions heading into the offseason about what they were going to do at certain positions, how they're going to fill the holes. And I don't feel satisfied, for lack of a better word, uh, with some of the moves that have been made. Obviously, this is all stuff on paper. We don't know how this is all going to play out on the field. I just I, I am so far underwhelmed without seeing any of it play out. The, the belief around the Brewers, at least what we're being told, is that they are very comfortable with the moves that they made, that they feel like they were able to, to do some things that were kind of shrewd. They, they've got their numbers and their analytics and their computer models and all that sort of stuff, and they like what they are expecting out of, uh, out of this team at this upcoming season. David Stearns has hit more than he's missed, He's the, but there's a lot of gambles here, right? Like This is one of those yeah. off-seasons where he's going to have to hit on a bunch of different things that are not slam dunks. Yeah, I, I think gamble is probably the perfect way to put it. Like, I think about this offseason, I think about, you and I have talked about this before, uh, some of the main things I was expecting them to hit on are first base, shortstop, just middle of the infield in general, and then, of course, uh, a catcher. And we know they've got Omar Narvaez, who is a is a very above-average hitting catcher, but as a defender, that's something that the Brewers are going to have to work on as a first baseman. They've got Justin Smoke, no more Eric Thames. It's probably Ryan Braun's position to be the backup there. Uh, and then at shortstop, who knows what's going to happen with Luis Urias uh, with his wrist injury. So I, I guess there's some unforeseen things with, with the Urias injury that I'm like, I just, I, I don't know. It's, there's a lot of stuff where it's, it's a lot more questions than answers at the moment until, like I said, we see this all happen. But you're right. Like Stearns has hit on stuff in the past where it's, hey, you didn't think X move was going to work out. And it did. Didn't think Thames was going to work out. And it did overall. So I, I guess until I actually see it not play out on the field, I have to trust them. I think the one that has surprised me is third base. And look, they they can still make moves. We're, we're seeing all of a sudden an uptick of trades in baseball. So it, this, this is not for sure a, a foregone conclusion that the roster is what the roster is. But I'm, I'm surprised that they are as comfortable as they seemingly are going into the season with a third base platoon of Eric Sogard and, and Jed Jerko. Are you surprised by that? Yes. Yeah. I mean, what's scale of one to 10 of my surprise? I'm at a thousand. Like, I don't understand. The, Eric Sogard and Jed Jerk are names that you know, the names that I know, the names that baseball fans know. And their fans are Brewers fans know, of course, with Jerko when he played with the Cardinals for the, all those years. And of course, Sogard uh, was with the Brewers for the past couple of, or at times for the past few seasons. I just, I, I don't know if, uh, was this going to be like Travis Shaw is what I think of a lot here because it's, if this move was going to happen all the way the entire offseason, if they were going to get rid of Shaw, it's like, okay, great. What's your other, your better option? 
if the better option is, well, we're going to kind of platoon it with a couple of guys who have had, in Jerko's case, hasn't really been a big contributor for a while. In Sogard's case, really hasn't been any sort of major contributor ever. Like he, he's, hey, he has stretches. That's why. That's how I would describe Eric Sogard as a streaky player. And now he's going to have to become a platoon player where he's going to be a matchup guy, or maybe he's going to have a hot stretch and then a cold stretch. I just that worries me from a position of this was one of your weaknesses last year at times. And now you want to have a whole season where you don't want that to be a weakness again, and you're headed with uncertainty. I think if you get what Tampa Bay got out of Sogard last year, he peered in. Sure, sure. What uh, what did he do last year? Um, ended up hitting 260. His numbers were fine. That's the point I'm trying to make. Between Toronto and, and, and Tampa Bay, his numbers uh, were fine. His totals in 110 games, he hit 290. He had 13 home runs, 40 RBIs. I think, I think those numbers are a little bit better than what you would be giving him credit for. Uh, correct, and, and that's fair, absolutely. But I guess my other point then was look at how I don't know. He has come out and said there were some personal and off the field things that he was working through when he was with the Brewers in 2018 when he struggled so mightily, and 2017 when he was with the Brewers, it was it was fine, and I think it was good to fans because it was unexpected. He didn't expect Selgard to be as productive as he was, or at least useful as he was uh, in 2017 with the Brewers. I just I come back to that and say, okay, what what are we going to be getting? Are we going to be getting the guy who for his career has been just kind of a, a useful player and kind of, Hey, if you need him in a spot, especially defensively and, you know, to get on base every once in a while, great. Or do you need him to be an actual contributor in the lineup four out of five games a week? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is there. It's still, that's the one that, yeah, somebody called me out on it last week because I've said on this podcast over and over that I did not feel like the Brewers' third baseman was on the roster. And I, as I, I think I'm wrong on that, and maybe that changes if they don't get the production that they need. I do think specifically with, with Sogard and Jerko, and I've said this a lot of times on this podcast, I think they're good fits for the roster, but I don't know if they're yeah. good fits for the position and the, the playing time that they're uh, what we assume them they're going to be asked to do. Yeah, I think that's fair because when you look at it, like let's let's think of when you think of Eric Sogard, <laughs> what kind of player do you think of his am? You think of him as is more of a let's say offensively, he's more of a slap hitter, get on base, and hopefully maybe move, just be useful on the base pass. When you think of him as defensively, it's okay, he's not going to screw up. That's really all you can ask for at, at third base. It's what you want, but you would also want a guy maybe with some power, and, and I just. I don't look at Eric Sogard or Jed Jerko in this case and say, that's a guy I want manning third base for 70% of the games this season. I just, it's the, it's the picture of, of seeing that happen and seeing that out there. Be like, that's not, that's not a playoff caliber third baseman, which isn't fair. It's not fair. Like I understand that. It's just my, my mindset. The, are you comfortable in a, a lot? Like it seems like the theme of this podcast for the better part of the last two months is where are you comfortable? Where are you not comfortable? And it seems like third base is still the area where there's not a lot of comfort. What other areas are you uncomfortable with for this team? I've said this to you and uh, off the air, and I, I stand by it. I'm still not comfortable with catcher and first base. I get that there's position, there's players there that have played the position there. Look. I've seen plenty of Omar Narvaez over his career where I, I should be thinking, okay, this is the guy you want. If you're not going to have Yasmani Grandal, then offensively, Omar, Omar Narvaez, for what you have available, is the guy you want. But then look at Manny Pena, who last year, another streaky year for him. If he, if this is a pl- platoon or if it's just a Manny Pena is going to get you know more opportunities than he had in the past because of, obviously, Grandal last year, 
who can I trust? I know I can trust Pena defensively, but I can't trust him offensively. And Narvaez, I know I can trust him offensively, but I can't trust him defensively. So that kind of gives me some pause. And at first base, we saw the Ryan Braun at first base experiment a couple of seasons ago, and or earlier last season, I should say. And yeah, eh, it's how we describe that. And Justin Smoke has had a couple of recent good seasons. But again, I, I think what the Brewers are doing, and this is, I think I'll have to give credit to David Stern for trying this, which is he is buying high on players who are maybe hitting their so called peaks. It, it, whatever that peak is, for whatever that stretch of time is for the peak, he's trying to buy on players and say, hey, we're catching them in their peak and their prime. Let's try and capitalize, it, even if it's for one season. Which I, I give him credit for giving that a shot. When I'm most in, the Brewers are really confident. From everything we've been told, the Brewers are incredibly confident in their ability to coach catchers up, especially from a pitch, pitch framing perspective. And I think they value pitch framing more than they value mm-hmm. re- receiving. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, uh, of and I don't know that for sure. I just I think that's what they value. And they've got this belief structure that they can really help guys out with that. And they've got, I mean, they've got a pretty good track record as well as making catchers better defensively. This is going to be really interesting to watch Omar Nevaez this year and see how much he can improve defensively, both as a receiver, but more importantly, as a pitch framer, to see what the Brewers can do with somebody who does have the, the, the offensive profile of an Omar Nevaez, but so far has not put it together defensively. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. I think back to a year ago, after the Grandal signing happened, what was the big thing? It was, oh my God, you know, we just saw this guy have a terrible NLCS against the Brewers, and obviously the Dodgers won that series anyways, but he was not great in the playoffs. Uh, defensively, it was pass ball, pass ball, wild pitch. He, he just didn't look comfortable. I was like, okay, great. Now we're going to have to rely on this guy down the stretch. That was kind of the, the thought process last year when the Brewers acquired him. And of course, if you look deeper into the numbers, it's like, he's... Yasmani Grandal is good at what he does. He is good at, at his position as far as what he knows his strengths are. And I think with Omar Narvaez, if if I am to believe what you believe, which I'm I'm inclined to do, especially with the Brewers and Matt, I, I trust in Matt Polly here. Uh, if the Brewer, if you trust that the Brewers trust their system, again, I keep going back to this kind of my the theme for me being on this week is until I see otherwise, there's it's not fair for me to think that it's going to be a failure. It's it's not fair for me. Yeah, and Look, Yasmani Grandal was not a great receiver. He was a great pitch framer. Right. Yeah. You know, what what we saw in the NLCS that year, that isn't what he was. I mean, he was a much better defensive catcher than that, but he was never a great receiver. That was fine. I don't think his. I don't think him not being a great defensive catcher. And again, I'm, I'm kind of. Spl- I know people are listening to this. I'm splitting the two things out. Being a, a defensive catcher, being a receiver, and being a pitch framer are, are two different skill sets. And what he did was he was an incredible pitch framer, and that's where his value came in behind the plate. Yeah, you know, actually, I kind of want to move away from catcher real quick because speaking, just kind of sticking to the defensive aspect. Uh, Ryan Braun as a first baseman, Justin Smoke as a first baseman, and possibly Omar Narvaez as a you know break glass in case of emergency guy. I, I just the more and more I think about it, my comfort level in first base is probably even knowing with third base, third base at least defensively, I feel okay. My comfort level with the first base defensively uh, is about as low as it can get as far as defensive uh, positions on this team. Hmm. I, I don't feel comfortable. With Ryan Braun, especially, and Justin Smoke, even though he's 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 an average like Justin Smoke is an average fielder, it's fine. I just don't feel comfortable, and that was one of the things that had been talked over the last few years with Eric Thames and Jesus Aguilar. They both had to get remarkably better 
as first baseman, and I think they both did. So that, that can speak to work ethic and also the system that the Brewers have as far as coaching goes. Uh, I just right now don't feel great about defensive prowess at first base. I I don't have a problem. I, I If Ryan Braun plays 120 games at first base, then I agree with what you just said. <laughs> right, that's bad. But he's not going to, and – Again, we when they had the experiment with him at first base before, and, and that happened, you know, just before really the emergence of both Jesus Aguilar and then being able to use Eric Thames and everything. That was kind of, you know, really Jesus Aguilar was the reason that they didn't need to use Ryan Braun at first base anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was fine, and then all of a sudden he starts playing there a lot, and you start to see just a few cracks in there. But overall. I'm comfortable with Braun if he's at first base a day or two a week, and I have All no right. problem with smoke. All right, hey, I'll I'll buy into it. My my, I just I have an overall concern about this team, so I'm trying to figure out if I'm crazy or if I'm if I'm just reading a little too much into this so far. From a bounce back standpoint, you know, the, the, I think this is something that they really are are counting on, and I'm gonna kind of lock in here on Lorenzo Kane and then. In the same way, but in a different way as well, Keston Hira. And what I mean here sure. is, so Lorenzo Cain is somebody who did not play well offensively last year. We know what he can do from a defensive standpoint. He had a down year defensively, and now this year you're also going to get a full season of Keston Hira, not just the, the mm. second half of the season. I get the sense that part of the reason that they view themselves in such a good spot is because they are banking on the Kane bounce back, and they also know that they are going to get Keston Hira for a full season. Uh, yeah, and I mean, like, why wouldn't they feel that way? They've already seen what Lorenzo Kane can do when he's healthy fully, and they've seen what uh, Keston Hira can do in two separate stints. I, I have no reason to not agree with that, that, especially on those two specific players. Now, my curiosity with Keston Hira is... I think he's a good enough hitter to not fall into this, but do you think he's a good enough hitter to where the you know sophomore slump is going to not affect him? I don't. I mean, th- there's going to be there's going to be down periods, but I don't think it's going to be an overall sophomore slump. No, I think he's going to have perfectly fine numbers. Hey, that works for me. I'll take it. Now the the defensive side of it for him, though, I know. I know the team was a little bit frustrated at times that he wasn't an especially good defensive second baseman. They're not asking him to be a gold glover out there, but I think there is an expectation that his defense is going to be a little bit better this year. Uh, sure, and it, like, it has to be, right? You yeah. can't come down to the the last three innings of a game when you've got you know your relievers in there and you're, you know, you've got a guy on base and you need a double play. You can't go out there. That's a specific example I'm thinking of in a game in a playoff race and say, okay, we can't have him out there because we need someone to be able to turn this double player to just be defensively smart, but then you take his bat out of the lineup when you need it. You, you have to have some sort of comfortability of his bat is so good that we can afford to have him in the field, or you have to put it to his bat is so good that we need to also have him be able to play in the field. And I, I, I guess I don't know where they're at with that. If, if it comes to a game, early in the season or middle of the season before the all-star break and, and they need defensive specialists in there. That's not a great confidence boost for a guy with a, such an offensive skill set that he has defensively. That's not a good confidence boost. I think at the same time he gets it right. Like he, he sure, sure. He can't run away from it. I would, I would hope not. I would I'd also hope, you know, look, we're, I'm not in their spring training plans. I don't know what, what all the drills are going to be, but I'm going to assume that, 
you know, 80% of the time, what he's working on most, at least at the beginning of spring training, is his defense. I think that's a safe bet. Um, does, from a pitching standpoint, so many people are, are critical of the starting rotation, and, and part of it is probably because last year they, they banked on young guys and it didn't work out, and you know they had to mm-hmm. go find a, a Gio Gonzalez and everything. But that being said, the rotation, the way I look at it, it's it's kind of the same as it's always been. And I know that last year they had to make some changes on the fly, but overall the Brewers have not really spent a lot of money on starting pitching. They've gotten guys who can kind of get you through five, six innings and hand it off to the bullpen, and they've been comfortable with that profile. And that profile of starting pitching is one that has gotten this team to the playoffs here in back-to-back seasons. So it's kind of a – I kind of chuckle when I hear people being critical about the way the pitching staff is being put together because, to me – it, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and say, yeah, the pitching staff is great. It's gonna be a a top five starting staff in the National League. But I, at the same time, I feel like this is the kind of staff that they've put together over the last couple of years and that they've had some success with. Yeah, and look, speaking of this, is how I think of it. I, I am both in the camp of I think they should be doing a better job of trying to get starting pitching because I think it's important. But I'm also in the camp of hey, we know who Craig Council and David Stearns are as far as building pitching rotate not only rotation but just the staff in general we know who they are we know the types of players they want as much as i and fans want to see you know top of the line starters and more reliable and names just it's really just it comes down to names you want to see names you know in a starting rotation i it works right so like you've mentioned this before they can go out and get a geo gonzalez they can go out and and grab somebody from triple a for a spot start here and there just to make it work uh, Craig Council has long said his goal every game is to get 27 outs, and he doesn't really care how they get to it. It hasn't really bitten him yet. And you can say it maybe did in the NLCS with his decision. Of course, in game seven, you could say it kind of did down the stretch in the wild card game, which that was just a weird game to begin with. But I, I just, his, his goal is getting 27 outs no matter how it happens. So I, I, once again, it's they've got Brandon Woodruff, they signed Josh Lindblom. They signed Brett Anderson. They signed a bunch of guys. It's like, okay, well, they've had some success in their career. And in Josh Bloom's case, it's, hey, let's try and capitalize on maybe him figuring something out. I, You know, it's if their bullpen is as good as it's been over the last three seasons, I have no doubt. And, hey, get me through five innings. We'll figure it out the rest of the way. I am glad that they signed Phelps. I'm still... I'm still not sold on this bullpen. That's I'm I'm more concerned about the bullpen than I am the rotation, which is kind of funny because it's a bullpen <clears throat> that is uh, anchored by a Josh Hader. But you know how I am. I'm big on track record. And sure. outside of Josh Hader and Alex Claudio, who's got a track record in this bullpen right now? I guess my question for you would be how much do you trust the comeback of Corey Knable? I don't and- trust it at all yet. That, which is fair, and and then what do you consider? What's Brent Suter's role on the team? That that's like Brent Suter's my guy, but what, what is his role on the team? Yeah, and you know, to be fair, he's got a track record. That that's a that's a, well, he does, but in in the sense of you know the bullpen, like we don't know if he's going to be a bullpen guy, if he's going to be the long reliever type, or if he's going to get spot starts. We don't know what his role is. So I think that's fair. Uh, Bobby Wall, of course, part of that trade for my guy Keon Broxton a couple years ago. Keon's back, so we're all good here. Uh, we didn't get to see him pitch last year because he got hurt in spring training. So that's that's a guy who has no track record, and I'm kind of 
curious to see. Corbin Burns, we sort of know what his track record is, but at the same time, we have no idea what it is. Freddie Peralta, same thing. And those guys might be starters anyways. I Ray Black, like where, where do you buy into Ray Black? He's he's a veteran guy with no experience, essentially. So uh, I'm, I'm with you on that, but I also kind of trust the fact that it feels like every season – they tend to start seasons with guys who don't have that recognition or that experience, and yet it just kind of works, which is kind of the MO of the Brewers. Like, hey, I'm not sure, but it works somehow. Yeah, I, at times, you know, they needed Drew Pomerantz last year. That, like, he was the guy. They were, their bullpen yeah. was one yeah. guy away last year. They went out and got Drew Pomerantz, and I still think, I, we're not going to see Corey Knable right at the beginning of the season. That's the other side of it. And, we know that guys who come off that injury, they generally it takes a, you know it just because you're back pitching doesn't mean you're back to right, being who you were. Doesn't make you, right. It doesn't mean you're back pitch. And that also doesn't mean that you're not going to get there. Sometimes it just takes time. So I'm mm. I'm more all in on 2021 Corey Knable than I am on 2020 Corey Knable. I have all the confidence in the world that he's going to get back to where he was. I just don't know what the timeline is on when he's going to be back at that point. Well, let me ask you a question, Matt, uh, while we're on the subject of, of relievers. Who is – trying to think of how I want to word this. What is still out there within the organization that you would trust, hey, in camp, this this guy might be someone that's going to make a run for a roster spot? Is, is there anyone that isn't already on the roster? Rasmus, on on the, the major league. Yeah, Rasmussen's the guy because he can throw okay. mid-90s, and he's going to be in the big leagues at some point uh, during the year. Uh, I'm I'm – I'm still really – I've got this thing about when prospects have bad seasons, a lot of people want to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater, and I don't like doing that. I think it's a very normal part of the development process for a baseball player to take a step back. So just that's why I'm fine with Corbin Burns. Like It really stinks that Corbin Burns had his step back here at the Major League level, but he only it happened at the Major League level because he moved – pretty quickly through the system. So I've, yeah, I've, uh, yeah. I'm not saying he is going to get back to who we thought he was going to be, but I'm also not saying that he absolutely will not. And I've got, yeah, I, I'm very curious how that's going to work out. I would say the same thing with Zach Brown. He's somebody who was the top pitching prospect in the organization. He had a bad year this past year, and there's a lot going on. He was pitching at AAA. He was pitching in the Pacific Coast League. I know it's not Colorado Springs like it was before, but that is still very much a, a hitter's league. And they went to the Major League Baseball at AAA last year as opposed to the Minor League Baseball. Uh, we know everything going on with that baseball. I just, I'm not ready to be done with Zach Brown. So he would be somebody that I mentioned in there as well. All right. Well, I mean, <laughs> they've got Josh Hader. So unless he regresses, which uh, if he regresses, then everyone's kind of in trouble. Yeah, he's still got to be the guy. He's the, he's the best in the uh, in, in baseball in terms of relief pitching. And I know some people don't want to hear that because of he he gave up a few home runs last year, and that's going right, to be something. he had a bad two-week stretch. People don't want to hear that, essentially. Right, which is, I mean, you statistically, he had a better season last year in ways. Now, there are some questions about, uh, you know, there's some numbers out there when you really get into the weeds on numbers. And sometimes when you get into the weeds on numbers, that's it, it, it reveals some, some interesting things. And sometimes it just all of a sudden becomes more of a coincidence than anything else. There are some numbers out there that show that when he was pitching back to back, it was not, or pitching, um, or not so much back to back, but pitching multiple innings this past year, his effectiveness went down in multiple inning outings. And uh, 
that was a little bit different because I think one of his strengths is his ability to pitch multiple innings, but this past year, multiple inning stints uh, were not as good as they'd been with him previously. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious with uh, with a lot of new names in the bullpen, if Council, look, it's 162 games. I get it. We're only going to see Hader for a third of that, if that even. I am curious how Council is going to treat him with a lot of new names in the bullpen, if he's going to try something different this year where he says, maybe, maybe he's not... Is Council ever going to designate someone to be the closer? I think you and I both know the answer to that is no. Uh, but I am curious to see if he designates some sort of at least in the beginning of the season, okay, we need to define a role until we need to break it, break a rule. Well, here's the thing where Corey Knable plays in on this, because I think what they did with Tater two years ago is the way to do it, where you almost have right. two different pathways to get to the end of a game that you're winning tight. There's going to be days that Josh Hader is available. Hader becomes a multi-inning guy. He'll give you, maybe you ask him to get seven outs, and on Josh Hader days, he's the guy. But then on days that he's not available, Knable is the ninth inning guy, and you, you, you're you probably not asking Knable to go multi-innings. I'm okay with kind of the two different pathways. What I'm not as comfortable with is Josh Hader as a one-inning closer because I feel like that, right, that that's right. it, that's not his strength. That's not what he does. So uh, two years ago, I thought they, they were pretty good at – kind of having the the two different plans, the plan on days that Hader was available and the plans when he wasn't. And I would hope that it's some version of that at least once Corey Knable is back, if Corey Knable is as effective as he's been previously. Yeah, well, look, we've seen over the last three seasons is Craig Council likes to manage his bullpen like he would do it in the playoffs, but he likes to do it throughout the regular season. So I'm fine with that. And I, we like we're not going to call that an experiment because it's what he does. So I am, I am A-OK with that in my book. Do you think our how do I say this? The well, underwhelming is how you described the offseason, and I, I think that is very mm-hmm. fair. There are many people out there, and I'm not trying to tell anybody how to be a fan or how to believe things, but at some point in time, when when somebody's got a track record, you kind of respect the track record. And I think David Stearns does have that. Do you think the fan base out there that has been angry about the way this uh, this offseason has gone down. Do you think they have the right to be angry because it's been underwhelming, or is it something that there does need to still be some trust? Hmm. <laughs> you know me. Part I hate them, telling people I mean, how to be fans. No, no, no. I know exactly what you mean because part of me wants to say uh, – no, I, I'm going to say it. Part of me says yes. I think there is a, a fairness to fans being upset and saying – Look, we they were you know, in, in fan speak, quote well, we you know we were one game away from the World Series two years ago. Last year we were one inning away from at least moving on and getting a shot at the Dodgers, and who you know who knows what would have happened. This is something you and I have talked about. Is the, the Brewers are just trying to get that if they can just capture that one hot stretch like the Nationals did last year, that's something that they can be successful at. I think it's fair for fans to be upset because when you see them go and make a move. Uh, move, the moves in the offseason they did last year because the free agent market was so out of whack. They were able to capitalize on that late. But then in the, in the season, it's okay. Are they going to trade for a starter? Are they going to trade for somebody? Are they going to trade for X, Y, or Z? And they go out and they trade for true Pomeranz. And while it worked, the, at the time, the fan base, and, and I was part of this until I saw it happening because I'm a reactionary person, was, you know, great. Congratulations on getting Drew Pomeranz. And, and now he's gone. So I, I think there's a fairness to being. Moustakas is gone. Grandal is gone. Travis Shaw is gone. Thames, like all these names that you know for the last two or three seasons, 
they're now gone. And you look at some of the numbers and you see some of the other teams around the league trying, if you want to call it that. And of course, there's always the Brewers are small market. We, and as fans, we don't know monetarily in baseball because we, we just don't know that those figures are not public and they probably never will be unless you actually work for the team and see the numbers yourselves. You're never going to know those numbers. So if a team says, hey, we're not making money, we need to cut payroll. If you see a team like the Cubs say, hey, we're just trying to slash payroll because we want to be able to continue to spend money. I think it's fair for fans to look at that and say, not sure if the team is trying because they see the underwhelming names. And you and I have talked about this before, name recognition. If you don't know these names, you're not going to feel comfortable with it. On the other hand, I know it's a long, long preamble to say this, is yes, there is a track record there. And as I've said previously on this, the last 20 minutes here is until I see it not work, it is unfair for me to say, I can't, I, I don't know that they don't know what they're doing. It's unfair for me to say that. Yeah, I think, and look, I, I, I say this all the time. I get accused because I work for the Brewers flagship station of being, you know, just a homer that's always going to carry water or whatever it is. I'm not trying to do that. I understand where, People are, are frustrated about the lack of, you know, the household names that you make reference to. But at the same time, you know, you watch and see a track record. Now, if the Brewers complete, if, if, if nothing works out this year, if all of a sudden, if, if Justin Smoke is just done, if Omar Nevarez can't catch a, a pitch to save his life, if you get zero production at third base, if Lorenzo Cain does not have a bounce back, if the starting rotation does nothing beyond Brandon Woodruff, if the bullpen is nothing beyond Josh Hader, Alex right. Claudio, these like, are all my worries, by the way. <laughs> if all those things happen, then when we're having these exact same conversations next year, I think we frame them a little bit differently because, for again, going back to track record, at that point the track record of the organization is not as spot on in terms of hitting on on on, on decisions. They've hit on so many. I, I maybe I'm just uh, maybe I've just been trained at this point, but I just feel like a lot of this stuff is going to end up working. I would love to feel the same way as you do. Uh, I do not. Not not because it's it's not like they can't work. I just I don't think it will. I I, I don't. I, at the outset, my thought process is there's no, two years ago. It's fair to say they overachieved when they were one game for the World Series last year. It's fair to say they underachieved. Somewhere in the middle is probably where they should be. And it, as of right now, I don't feel like they're in the middle of what they did two years ago and what they did last year. I just don't feel that they're in the middle of that. I feel like they're – but as you've brought up before, the National League is not very good on paper. No. They, like they, they have a chance to be an actual contender in this – in this. Uh, why can't it's – not, it's not a conference in baseball. What am I doing here? A league. <laughs> in this league. A division, a league, whatever you want to go yeah, with. Yeah, that, that is a, a very fair truth. It's just the feeling of it is not the same as it was last year. And it definitely wasn't the optimism that we felt two years ago, even though, like I said, I think they overachieved in 2018. And yet in 2019, there's a feeling of underachieving because you're on that high of one game from the World Series. I just I feel like they should be in the middle. And my feeling of watching them and watching the offseason move is moves are that they're not in the middle yet. We talked about this the other day. I was uh, I was in on Greg Matzik's show, and for people who are listening to this immediately after it's been released, I'll be back in on uh, Monday from from noon to one on ninety four five ESPN. There's your plug. When I'm not there, Greg is. Uh, we were we were talking about 
this the other day. Who's the second best team in the National League? Like the Dodgers, and it, it sounds like the bets price trade finally did go through. The Dodgers clearly are the best team in the National mm-hmm. League. I don't think you can argue that. But the second best team probably view the Washington Nationals as the second best team. But there's not a whole lot of difference between the second best team in the National League and probably the the sixth or seventh best team. Right. There, there's no gap. This is what you and I joked about on the air was that, hey, there's the Dodgers as a top tier. Then there's like seven teams that you can put in the middle tier. And then that leaves another six teams where you're like, well, they're just probably not very good. But that middle tier is like, okay, that's seven or eight teams probably. They're going to be fighting for what, five playoff spots, yeah. including you know the two wild cards. So you're really fighting for three and a half spots. I'm sorry, four and a half spots. I just, I don't know. I, I have no idea who's good. Aside from the Dodgers and what I believe is the, the Nationals, Braves, and and then and whoever in the Central. Like I, I don't know who's the Central leader. Like who who is the best team in the Central Division? Because with the Reds, we don't know until it actually happens. Yeah, and I mean on paper, probably looks like the Cardinals after they won the division last year. But I mean they're not they're not scaring anybody. Right, right, they're not. I I do think I felt like the division overall, the NL Central as a division was better last year than it is this year. I think the only improved team is the Reds, and every other team may not be as good as they were last year. Do you, are you, will you hop along on that one with me? Yeah, I think that's okay. fair. I, 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 no one got markedly better, and, and I would say they I would lean towards they got worse than they did to get better teams in the division. This is where you might hop off, and that's fine. Uh, I, I thought the NL Central was the best division in baseball last year. I thought it was really, really good, and I thought that – that hurt teams because they all you know you play your divisional opponents what the the eighteen or nineteen times whatever it is yep. when you when you don't have any just pushovers in the division it, that that makes it really tough and you might go look at a team that's got a better record in another division and they're not actually better than you because they've got a bunch of teams in their division that they get to beat up on and get thirteen fourteen wins against over the course of a season. I don't think it's going to be that way as much this year in the NL Central, but also I don't think any team has really distinguished themselves. The Cardinals, the Brewers, the Cubs, and the Reds, in whatever order you want to put them in, I don't think there's a whole lot separating them. Pittsburgh's the only team that's really different, so while you also don't have the opportunity to you know, beat up on multiple teams, might just be one, it also is probably a year where with those four teams all looking pretty similar, they could do the thing where they're beating up on each other again. I am not going to hop off the tree because I think that's correct. And I, that goes back to not being, you know, until we see it play out on the field, we're not going to know. But I, whatever the Cubs are, I, I don't know. The Cardinals, like you said, they won the division last year. They didn't get better. They didn't get really get worse. So they're, they're probably still just as good. The Brewers, we've been talking about them for a half an hour. We already know about the Brewers and the Reds. Sure, they got better pitching. They, they've got some names now, but. Until we see the Reds put it together for more than like two months, nobody's really going to believe in the Reds. So I think that's fair. Uh, I, I don't know if best. I, I'm not going to say that they're the best division this year. I will say that they might. They have the chance to be the most competitive in baseball. And I, I don't know if you'll agree with that or not, but that goes exactly into what you're saying of no one's going to have 14 wins against somebody. It's going to be a lot of head-to-head of, you know, one's got eight, one's got nine wins in the, in the head-to-head. And that's going to play a huge role down the stretch when it comes to wild card and also division leads. All right, uh, before I get you out of here, I want to get let you plug something because you got something cool that's going to be coming up in uh, March. And I don't know if you talk about this on the radio, but we're going to talk about it here. Your annual Rots Hots. Do you want to give uh, folks an idea of what's going to be going on? 
Uh, sure. So, uh, long story short, is my dad unfortunately passed away from pancreatic cancer two years ago. Uh, so, what we do every year for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, which is just kind of part of you know another can- cancer society for research and development and all that stuff for looking after pancreatic cancer, we do something that my dad always wanted to do, which is create a hot dog stand and kind of a a, a restaurant. So, you know, we got burgers, hot dogs pull sausages, you name it. Basically, it's, it's basically ballpark food, which is kind of something I'm just realizing. So it's always great food. Uh, and we, we put on this this kind of mock restaurant. Uh, and if you go on my Twitter, at Ashton underscore Rotman, you can find all the details there. Uh, but it's just a really cool event that we do every year. This will be the third one that we've done. Uh, and it's only getting bigger and better. And we're hopefully going to partner with some local Milwaukee places this year uh, and some other places down the road in the future. So it's just it's a really good time. And, I, uh, you know, it's it's a good thing to do to come together with friends and family and all sorts of people to just uh, you know, for a good cause. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad. Uh, glad I noticed that. So if um, uh, if people want to get more information, Ashton's Twitter is at Ashton A S H T O N underscore Rotman R O T M A N. This was fun. I'm sure we'll do it again very very soon. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Ashton Rotman joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that's just about going to do it for uh, the podcast this week. Do want to make note, uh, the spring training radio broadcast schedule did come out this past week as uh, in all... 14 games are going to air on WTMJ, and then four more games are going to air on WTMJ's sister station, 94.5 ESPN. Uh, This is what's going to be uh, coming up. The first game against the Texas Rangers on Saturday, February 22nd. That game is going to be a WTMJ game. Also Sunday, February 23rd, the next day against San Diego. That's going to be a WTMJ game. The first 94-5 ESPN game is scheduled for Monday, February 24th uh, in Maryvale against the uh, Angels. The entire spring training broadcast schedule can be found at WTMJ.com. Just go to the Brewers page and uh, you'll see the broadcast schedule. But uh, we're not that far out from baseball on the radio which clearly is a very, very, very good thing. All right, that is it for uh, this week's edition. My thanks to uh, Ashton Rotman for uh, joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week. When we talk next week, we're going to have actual baseball to talk about as pitchers and catchers will have reported. Uh, not a whole lot to, at that point to really get into, but it's, it's baseball players doing baseball things, and that's the most important thing. So that's what we're talking about next week here on the podcast. Brewers Extra Innings Podcast Powered by WTMJ. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.